welcome to the Insight to Action podcast for business innovation and business innovators. My name is Donna Jones and I'm your host. Today the topic of self-management and reducing the tiers of management is is pretty commonplace for the most part. Uh, We have statistics coming out from Gary Hamill such as the the excess management, layers of management are costing, at least in the United States, $3 trillion a year, which is a massive number. And at the same time, I'm pretty confident that instills fear in the heart of every manager, wondering what does that mean for me. What we're here to talk about today is where Holacracy One has gone. Holacracy One started in 2007, and with me today is one of the co-founders or generators of Holacracy One, Tom Thomason. And we're going to talk about what you've done since then. So, yeah, thank you, Tom. Welcome to the program. Let, let's talk about where you've been since Holacracy One and how that's kind of spread throughout the land, shall we say, or Lanza. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And that is a jaw-dropping, stunning number, isn't it? Um, the amount we spend on management. Yeah, uh, it's been an interesting 10 years, actually, in the whole self-management, self-organization field. We launched actually this month, it's March 1st, we launched Holacracy One in 2007, Brian and I, and kind of launched that out of the mother of all entrepreneurial initiatives. There's just got to be a better way. That mantra is a pretty recurring theme. For me, it was a better way born out of exacerbation and just kind of frustration, almost a cynicism. I was an entrepreneur, 30-year entrepreneur. I've started many businesses mostly in the disruptive space, technology, management styles and techniques, organization design, all the usual things, competing with all the usual suspects, PwC, Accenture, Anderson, McKinsey, well, Anderson, not so much anymore, but Accenture now. And, you know, trying very clever, very innovative techniques to better manage and getting mostly the same results. And that's been super disappointing. And so it wasn't really until I crossed paths with Brian, uh, who was experimenting with different techniques in his software company, that uh, we started to really address the fundamental underlying structure of how organizations are managed, run, and controlled from a power distribution, authority distribution structure, something that really gets down at the heart of how we distribute power, make decisions, and structure our organizations. And this is really at the heart of what Holacracy brings to the table. There have been a lot of pioneers way before Holacracy, uh, Simcoe and Gore and Morningstar and many others doing really cool work. Holacracy One kind of built upon that and systematized a self-organizing operating system, made it portable so that really anybody that wanted to replace the management hierarchy could. And that's the simplest definition I've come up with. You ask people to define holacracy and it will stump the best of us because there are multiple definitions. I started asking that question in 2012 and and people said, well, how long have you got? It's going to take a while to explain this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. So I start with uh, holacracy is a complete wholesale replacement for the management hierarchy, period, full stop. Now, if you let that sink in a bit, that's a profound statement. It is indeed because, you know, the, the number I threw out in the intro is indicative of the cost. And, and of course, it, in other words, management is becoming more a question of cost. And, and so the, that's why there is such an important need to take a look at, at alternatives like Holacracy One and, and so forth. Now, one of the things that I know companies are struggling with is how to operationalize this, both in terms of the mindset, the psychology 
that's required to shift and distribute, letting go of my identity <laughs> in order to right. gain yeah. a new one for on the people side of it. And on the other side of it is how do you actually make all the old systems, how do you take the old systems and turn them into something that functions? So, yeah, well, it is very transformative for sure on both sides. Um, it invites everyone, both the former managers and leaders, managing people, processes, and systems to manage the work. And it invites the workers who are accustomed to being directed to participate in the running and structuring of the organization, actually deciding where that work lives and what's the best way to optimize that work for efficiency. So it transforms both sides of the equation, both the managers and the managees, if you will, the employer-employee relationship transforms completely, and everyone is invited to participate in moving the work of the organization forward. So it shifts everybody's focus. Former managers, directors, supervisors, now are no longer doing that, but they're still bringing their source matter ex expertise, their capacities, their experience to play doing the work of the organization. And that's the same invitation to the employees or the workers. They're invited to do the work of the organization and in that doing, find better ways to optimize that and structure that work without any management overlays. Can we explore a bit the people side of it? Because I know when I see companies that are sitting back saying, hey, I don't really need to change. This is cool where I am. It's worked before. It should work again. I actually can't tangibly see any evidence of a need for change. What's the pivotal point for them to kind of recognize that there's something else? In other words, for a new vision to surface in terms of their role and in terms of their place? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's uh, fraught with the answer is fraught with a lot of paradoxes because holacracy is very inclusive. Back to it invites everyone to participate and gives everyone a voice and gives everyone multiple pathways to process what they see, the opportunities they see for the organization. So from that standpoint, it is very inclusive. But it starts with distribution of authority. It is a distributed authority system. It's a self-managing system. It's a self-organizing system, and it has to start somewhere. And it starts with whoever has the authority to decide that this is going to be the best way to get the organization's work in the world. That person makes the decision to surrender that authority into a distributed authority system like Holacracy. So in, in a sense, it's a top-down or a power holder decision. And to your question, it takes a power holder that recognizes that maybe she or he might be the bottleneck, might be the limiting factor in terms of decision-making or getting work done. If everyone is looking to the leader to make the decision and the leader shows up as a heroic leader carrying the burden or weight of the organization, that is a risk. And enlightened leaders, progressive leaders, experienced entrepreneurs recognize that that is not a good way to carry the work of the organization forward. It's much better to get everybody engaged, everybody participating. So it really comes from the recognition of the power holder, the leader, saying, you know, I think there's a better way to get the good work that this organization is doing out into the world and get myself out of the way and get everybody else participating in figuring out how to deliver that work. 
Well, it goes straight into a typical framework for companies, and then then we'll flip back and, and pick up the the operational legal side of it, and and more on the people side of it. In companies like legal firms and previously architectural firms, where there's the structure is partners, and then there's junior partners, and then there's you know a bunch of tiers. The the way in which these companies were structured to engage people in the ownership slash decision making management side of the business is not conducive to what we're talking about here. What, when you, I know you've worked with a lot of companies worldwide. What have you seen? How have you seen them wrestle with that change? You know, be in the in the in the fire around that changeover. Yeah, for sure. So it, it's kind of interesting. There's um, there's a couple things happening now. Holacracy as a specific practice, I would say it's a gold standard. Uh, tried and tested uh, a very mature operating system for replacing management hierarchy. We now have many organizations experiencing that, experiencing what it's like to transform individuals into equal partners, if you will, figuring out how to run and structure the organization. But we've not addressed some of the other issues, some of the other systems. So we've done a really good job now over multiple decades of self-organizing the work, figuring out how to get everybody to participate in a self-managed system, a self-organizing system to optimize structure and deliver that work. So that's really cool. So we push the bounds of distributed authority out a bit instead of centralized command and control, predict and control, top-down power hierarchies. We have something else. That's great. Now, from that vantage point, we can start thinking about, huh, so if we've removed the need for management hierarchy and bosses, if you will, why do we still have this construct of authority? our employees, <laughs> which is reporting to a, another authority structure. This is really weird. This is kind of interesting. What do we do to push the bounds of distributed authority out into a couple systems that have been ignored conventionally? And that's the legal structure are the legal systems, the underpinnings of these organizations, and the people systems, and reframe those two. And in fact, embed the very same self-organizing principles that we find in practices like holacracy, and embed those principles now in our legal structures. So this is actually what gave birth to ENCODE.org, the organization I launched with uh, two other founding members in 2015 to address this issue, and re-envision what it means to actually own an organization without a privileged class, transforming everyone to be an investor, to have an investment stake of some sort in some meaningful way in the purpose of the company. And this changes the game dramatically in terms of ownership structures and authority structures inside the legal system, the legal corporate structure, where that whether that's a limited liability company as common in the States or in other structures in Europe. So we're working to upgrade those systems, too. You might think of holacracy as an upgrade for the organization itself. And now we're looking to upgrade the legal structures and the people structures to address issues of ownership, equity, profit distribution, new ways of compensation, making sure that no power is held personally anywhere in the system end to end. Yeah, very intriguing. I know I woke up this morning thinking about companies that are facing this or at this intersection, thinking that it, mindset wise, it's easy to kind of sit in the operational side and have everything be pretty concrete, 
black and white, no problem. But when you're when you're making this kind of a, a flip, you, you you have to bring forward a lot more entrepreneurial vision, a lot more sense of direction that comes from being able to see ahead. What's your experience with how Holacracy one and what you're doing now operationally and at the people side fits with those entrepreneurial that entrepreneurial um, skill set? That's a great question. It's one of the motivating factors for bringing in a self-managed or self-organizing system. It's back to getting everybody involved. And in a sense, it makes everyone an entrepreneur or a leader of their own piece of work. And they get to bring the best of themselves, their best ideas. They get to figure out how to optimize the work and how to optimize uh, systems to express that work. So in a, in a sense, it makes entrepreneurs out of every individual that's participating in the organization, figuring out how to best deliver the work of the organization. So it's one of the, the key motivating factors of getting everybody involved and kind of embedding an entrepreneurial attitude or an entrepreneurial stance to doing the work. And that's quite transformative for organizations swapping out the management hierarchy what we're doing at ENCODE is carrying that principle and that thinking forward. So making everyone, even the person right out of school, just getting his or her feet under themselves, making them an investor in the purpose of the company, even if that's simply a profit right in a way of getting paid for the work that they're contributing, perfect. It may be a deeper investment, maybe it's a capital investment, benefiting from the long-term appreciation of the company as it grows, but this changes everything. It brings that entrepreneurial spirit now to the legal structure, makes everyone a legal member of the company. This is one of the cool things that Holacracy One did many, many years ago. When Brian and I were first starting the organization and beginning to grow, we were faced with the dilemma of, do we really want employees and all that comes with that? And we started looking at how can we take these principles and change the fundamental structure to allow us uh, to have everyone be a legal member and have a stake in the game and be able to benefit from the growth and the upside. So this is actually what gave rise to the, this shift, and it moves the entrepreneurial thinking now out to the corporate, the capital structures, if you will, of the company. Well, let's explore that a bit further. I was at an event yesterday which involved a lot of accountants and, uh, and still quite steeped in the traditional accounting systems. What what does this whole holacracy and, and, and distribution of power do to what we would consider to be very traditional mechanisms for determining the success of the company? Well, it's in some ways it doesn't change much when you look at partnership structures. Essentially, the holacracy constitution makes every employee a partner and invites that partner to figure out how to lead their work be an entrepreneur around that work and gives that partner multiple pathways. What we're talking about here is making everyone also a legal partner of the corporate structure, the company itself, and participate in the capital structure and the capital gains or the, the profits um, of the organization itself. So this is not new. There are you know, large organizations with multiple hundreds or thousands of partners um, and it's a partnership. So the, the base structure, uh, the base legal structure is one of a, a partnership, a limited partnership. And then there is a whole lot of enhancements 
to bring 21st century governance, 21st century decision making, and shifting a lot of the old antique ways uh, that we hold decision making power and authority in those company structures, in those partnerships, and we upgrade those. So it makes everybody a legal partner of the partnership. I know that in 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 terms of accounting, there's there's some real limitations to to accounting in terms of ecological and environmental impact that the company would have, or social impact for that matter. But in these new systems that that you're the 21st century systems, does it include a way to monitor just you know what is the impact we're having and how are we picking up the pieces you know and connecting them to a high a, a purpose that really matters. That, that are reflected in the accounting systems. Yeah, I, well, you hit on exactly the key. And the way encode.org frames it is everything hangs on purpose. Holacracy hangs on purpose. Everything in holacracy is purpose-driven, you might say. All the work, all the structure, all the activities are unpacked towards the purpose of the organization. So holacracy focuses everyone on how to best express that purpose and make any shifts or changes in our work structures as our sense of purpose changes or deepens or matures over time. So the purpose rules. The purpose purpose is the new cohering force. It's not the old school vision mission. It's all about the purpose of the organization. And what ENCODE is doing is taking that purpose and extending it out to the company structure as well. And legally, it's shifting the legal structure to a for-purpose enterprise that's legally encoded in the bylaws, in the operating agreement. So what's being created is not a for-benefit company. That's a mighty fine structure in its own right. Nor is it a for-profit company. That's an interesting and very successful model. It's been around for a very long time. Nor is it a not-for-profit these are interesting and I would call artificial, if you will, tax distinctions. What we're doing is creating a for-purpose enterprise legally, shifting the fiduciary and shifting the reason that the organization is formed to purpose. I know that when I've had these conversations with companies, they, they get passion and purpose all tangled up. And so purpose for them is about, you know, they quickly translate and say, oh, you, by purpose, you mean we're here to make money. And that's, that's it. And then there's the whole business around, well, if you're, if you're passionate about your work, well, then you can't possibly make money because th th these two aren't, don't sit side by each. In the conversation that you do, the, the intersection between the structures or the operational metrics, in other words, the formal structure behind the holacracy and the people side of the interaction, how do, how do those two Tango, tango, not tango, but tango dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it's a common confusion or conflation. I mean, rarely ever is uh, profit a purpose. Profit is a measurement. It's a way of uh, accounting for the exchange of value across an organizational boundary. That's my language for it. It accounts for the service exchange that's being offered to the world. And profit is an incredibly important metric to the overall health of the organization, but is rarely, if ever, a purpose. The purpose of an organization is its fundamental why, the underlying why it exists. What is its offering to the world? What is its gift to the world? What would be missing if it didn't offer that? 
Simon Sinek, of course, has a lot to talk about on why and uh, getting to why. There is a lot of great work out there on unpacking around purpose. And the interesting thing that these self-managing, self-organizing systems do is they refocus our attention, not to the collective of us. It's not trying to get to an amalgam of all of our personal purposes and passions. Not that. It's trying to unpack the evolutionary purpose of the organization itself. And that is what we're pursuing. So the gifts and the talents and the, the services and the value that the organization can contribute to the world, that's what points to purpose. I really appreciate that distinction because I know I have the same, I, I notice the same confusion arise when I talk about values-based decision making and people, you know, companies will go, well, we have values. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> how do they play into life, you know, in, in, in day to day? And are, are you plugging them in? So, yeah, thank you for that. Sure. What major leadership quantum jumps, I guess, let's, let's talk about it that way, are required of people making the, you know, in, in the transformation from one state to another, and in particular, in, in wrestling with this, you know, replacing the old with, with what we're talking about in terms of 21st century. Yeah, well, there, you know, there's some markers that we've distilled down. Lots of folks talking about, you know, what's next and the new world of work and all of that and self-managed systems. And there are some specific markers that I think are emerging for this new world of work in this generation. Every generation has the new world of work, but our new world of work is purposeful. So leadership is around uh, manifesting purpose, leading towards purpose. The new world of work is about a new type of hierarchy, not a power hierarchy, but actually a, pi a hierarchy of the work to express purpose. So leading in a new hierarchy leading the work, not the people. So the new world of work is about purpose and a new hierarchy, a hierarchy of the work. And it's about transparency, visibility, giving access to data so people can make good decisions. Um, it's about dynamically responding to market conditions, customer needs, current reality, as opposed to the fallback of predicting and controlling for that which we predict, which is mostly wrong. <laughs> so these are some new markers in the new world of work. Autonomy, the ability to lead your work unfettered and move from a permission culture to an action culture of autonomy to lead. These are the markers for new leadership. Someone that's able to operate in a new hierarchy, a hierarchy of the work, manage and lead towards purpose, respond dynamically to changes, be able to live in an environment that has radical visibility and transparency about everything, even about the needs that may need, even about the items that may need to be private for good reason, just visibility and transparency around that too. These are the markers, I think, for the new world of work and the new leaders in that new world of work. I, I, I fully agree, and I've seen these themes come up repeatedly in all different sorts of self-managed systems, not just this one, but, but it is a consistent set of principles that uh, threads through them all. I think so. You know, one of the, the critiques that holacracy gets, and, and somewhat, you know, it's both unjustified and justified, it, holacracy does not address the people in the system. It gives people uh, an opportunity to 
bring all of themselves to the work and use all of their senses and capacities, their cognitive capacities, their emotional capacities to figure out how to move that work forward. But it is a system designed for the organization to express its work in pursuit of purpose. It is not designed to cohere people. And so I think one of the the things that will be interesting in the future, and one of the things that encode.org is working on, is how do we re-envision a world without employees? We have self-organizing systems that don't need managers or management hierarchies. And we have this emergent gig economy or independent or autonomous worker. How do we re-envision that person who's doing purposeful work? And so we're experimenting with different containers and constructs that allow like-purposed people to come together, not like-minded. That's an interesting shift, too. We're not actually looking for like-mindedness. We want diversity. We want people with different perspectives to come together. But we want them to be like-purpose. So what does a collective of like-purpose people look like? who aren't working under a manager or a boss or any authority figure, but consciously choose to come together because they care about the purpose. What happens in that container? What are the cultural norms around those independent agents of purpose, if you will? What are the agreements between the individuals about how they do, how they show up and how they do work? I think that's a fascinating topic for the future is how do we bring purposeful work to the independent purpose agent, if you will. I, you know, I appreciate that because it, it, it's, it, when we're talking about future, we're talking near future, the next three years, because the impact of robotics and AI on, on the whole shape of work is, is massive ramifications. You know, I mean, these jobs are going to go. And the question is, what does that mean for the middle class? What does that mean for me, you know, who has a job and has always relied on I, I'm not speaking about myself, of course, because I've not ever been in that spot. But, <laughs> but there are a lot of people who have, you know, they, they live by working you know, nine to five. And, and I get that. So but, but it's a bit of a jolt to enter into a world where or to sort of transit into a world. And this is, I think, underpinning a lot of the dynamics we're seeing in politics right now where, you know, Settle that ground down. Tell me everything's going to be certain. I need it to be the way it was. I need a job and government. You're still responsible for providing that to me through business. You know, those days are, are going fast. They really are. Yes. Yeah. So this, this, what you're talking about now is so immediately relevant to helping people prepare for what is emerging in the very near future. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I think so, too. I think the, the new world of work is about more conscious choice making. And this is not new, of course, but it, it's kind of reaching a tipping point where more and more individuals want to work this way and will refuse to work in the conventional way. I think, as you pointed out in the beginning, management costs, management hierarchy, the waste that goes on in trying to manage the people, not only the waste, but the frustration and the, the lack of supporting people's own development, their own choices around their own development is really a travesty. And I think that's going to tension the whole system to find new ways to come together to get work done, like holacracy, new ways to come together to invest and own a stake in the purpose of the company as an equal, and new ways to come together and work side by side by like-purposed individuals. And rethink, you know, the whole human resource thing. 
mentor and menteeship and professional development, um, uh, capacity development. We think all of those things in a new way. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have, I know you've got client confidentiality and all of that, but is there an example you can offer about how a company has made this this um, transformation that would give listeners who, who have their own businesses, who are facing these questions, some sense of, of uh, they're, they're not the only ones, <laughs> and you do you are alive when you get there? <laughs> well, there are some, for Holacracy, there are, of course, some, 500 plus organizations and probably many, many more across the world that have been experimenting with self-managed or self-organizing systems. And the benefit of getting everyone focused on purpose and the work right away, that's huge for entrepreneurs and startups. Um, Getting everybody focused on sensing how to pivot, to use the colloquial term, or dynamically steer, to use a holacracy term, figuring out how to get work done. Everybody is an entrepreneur. That's huge. And there's some good case studies and stories about people that have either transitioned to that model or started from scratch from that model, for sure. Now, with ENCODE, we're just getting our feet under us, and we have a few clients and a few stories developing. The interesting thing there, the relevant thing, is in addition to getting everybody focused on the work and everybody participating and sensing what's needed, that's cool. With changing the legal structures and the capital structures, We now have new ways to compensate folks that are more aligned with reality of a startup, for example. So we have some good stories uh, with a couple organizations that were early in their history, early as a startup. And every startup has unpredictable, nearly every startup has unpredictable cash flow. And by having everyone be an investor and hold an investment stake, you're able to do some pretty interesting and creative things with compensation systems because you're no longer hooked to payroll and salary and labor laws. You have a very flexible, dynamic compensation system that allows everybody to participate in profits when they're there and take a deferred interest when they're not. And so everyone becomes an investor and gets an investor-like mindset on helping the organization grow financially too. We've got some interesting stories of how this kind of structure has helped a startup navigate some really rough waters to better cash flow positions. Good, because I know for a lot of startups, the whole question is, how does my decision that I don't actually have an, a sense of what's going to happen next flow into the next decision? So it's, it's, a, it's you know, in, in that sense, startups have a, a greater capacity for, for finding their way through the, this new territory we're in from a business environment standpoint because they're actually aware of the fact they're working with uncertainty. Whereas in the, if you're someone that's been for more experience in business, you actually are the, under the delusion that you're in control of what's going to happen next. So There are some really good, strong advantages of bootstrapping an organization this way, for sure. Of course, there are some, some downsides of that, too. Uh, you may not have the most experienced people uh, that you would have in an ongoing concern. So all the risks are still there. You just have different tools and techniques to mitigate those risks. No guarantees, but it certainly gives you 21st century techniques to deal with 21st century problems. 
Well, and my, my position on that, or my, my, my belief on that, shall I say, is that we're moving from relying on structures to carrying us through to trusting more in ourselves and our own deeper capacities for handling change in a very adaptive and, and emergent fashion. And so I, I think that that's a reflection, what you just said is very much a reflection of that uh, shift that is taking us to being able to work with whatever shows up and know, you know, we can handle this. I can handle this. Yeah, absolutely. Back to having more autonomy and choice making over our activities and knowing that we meaningful, meaningfully contribute to what we do and we can meaningfully impact and shape how an organization pursues its purpose. And of course, on that note, and then I think we'll, we'll tie things together here, but on that note, one of the things I notice is that when you've suppressed potential, when you've told people what to do and how to do it for a long period of time, when you have just set in structures in place that control the expression of potential, when you turn it around and say, okay, go ahead now, we need you to contribute and come up with great ideas, the initiative has been squashed. And, and there's a lot more aversion to taking a chance of putting yourself out there. In that arc of, of expression, you know, shifting from keeping things close and being careful about how you put, what you put forward when to what, we're, what you're talking about in, in a holacracy type of environment, there is a bit of a jump to be made. What kinds of things have you witnessed in, in terms of how people have made that adjustment? Yeah, these are uh, some of the strongest of the transformation stories come with holacracy. Back to a statement I said, everyone is invited. No one's forced. Holacracy play is about asking for what you need and getting it and not telling people or other individuals what to do. So it's, it's taking accountability for your own actions and using your own voice as you develop the capacity to do so, because you're exactly right. I, I've had the privilege of leading many, many holacracy deployments and seeing this transition. A lot of individuals have developed some bad habits for good reasons, and they demure back, fade to the background, are fearful sometimes of bringing the fullness of themselves for fear of being uh, overruled or worse. And so it takes a while to get people comfortable knowing that there really is a safe place. And these new sets of rules do distribute power equally, and there's no one person that can trump any decision. Everybody gets to participate. That doesn't happen overnight, and it's not a cognitive thing. You don't learn that from a training course. You get it viscerally from practice and seeing it in reality. And weeks turn into months and months into multiple months, and pretty soon you test the waters a bit, and you use your voice to say, you know what, I think it could be better if we did this. And lo and behold, that happens. And then you use your voice again. And like with any practice, you start getting better. So I've seen huge transformations with individuals who kind of step into their own power and begin to use it with their own voice. And it's amazing to see. I can imagine. And I know it's, it's sort of one of the things that I live for in my own work is to watch that, those lights come on full on. It's just, yeah, I, I totally relate. Absolutely. Tom, where can people find out more about ENCODE? Yep. So um, encode.org is the best place to go. We are just getting our feet under us, but we've got a lot of material and a lot of resources. We have a Medium blog post. Uh, we have some YouTube videos. Of course, all the usual suspects on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 
Uh, we're putting on workshops, introductory one-day workshops to expose people to the for-purpose enterprise all over the world. You can find out more about those on our website. And um, if you're curious about this, we'd love to hear from you. And for the transformational stories we talked about earlier, where, what's the best place to find some of those so people have got some sense of what it looks like? Uh, no question. Holacracy One is the best repository for all kinds of re- resources related to Holacracy. Very rich and robust website. Holacracy, www.holacracy.org would be the best place to go to look at those case studies and resources. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for being on the program, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's my pleasure. On the Evolutionary Provocateur podcast, both on iTunes and on management-issues.com, you'll find an interview I did with Anna McGrath on Holacracy and the implementation of Holacracy in Zappos, so that'll backfill some of the information we talked about here. My name is Donna Jones. This is the host for your program. My work very much involves about raising leadership consciousness to handle complexity with greater ease and also make better decisions in the process. And also with respect to that, it's how to make the massive adjustments in terms of organizational design required to ensure, you, A, you don't fail, and B, you, you, you actually thrive using all the talent, so releasing the human talent you have within. You can find me on insight to action dot, from insighttoaction.com. I blog, monthly blog for Great Workplace Cultures on the Huffington Post. I've written Decision Making for Dummies, which is a book for modern-day decision-making and I also contributed a chapter into the intelligence of the cosmos on deep dynamics and self-organizing and the new purpose of business. Please contact me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for sharing these episodes. Really appreciate your support.